if you understand the Old Testament prophets, you have a better grasp of what Revelation is saying. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. going to see tonight is an instance in scripture of unfulfilled prophecy, things that are yet to be fulfilled. Now, I point this out because we started this journey in this Bible study by going through the book of Revelation. It's oftentimes considered one of the most confusing books of the Bible. It's hard for people to understand. The truth about Revelation is, it's not that Revelation is hard to understand, it's the lack of knowledge of reference material that Revelation is making. Revelation is connecting to a lot of the Old Testament prophets and things that they had said. Now, you don't actually need the book of Revelation to understand what the end is going to look like. What Revelation does is adds context and puts things in order so that you can really grasp what the Old Testament prophets are saying. You understand the Old Testament prophets, you have a better grasp of what Revelation is saying. And so what we have here is this unfulfilled prophecy that will get fulfilled as stated in the book of Revelation. And you're looking at the last four chapters of the book of Revelation is this return of Jesus, him setting up his kingdom for a thousand years, uh, and then ultimately the white throne judgment, and into eternity with new earth and new Jerusalem and new heaven, right? But tonight what you're looking at in Isaiah chapter 11 is that millennial kingdom and what it will look like. Now Isaiah has already alluded to the Messiah and what he will look like in previous chapters. In our last session, we went through chapters 7 through 10, you know, we talked about the virgin birth. And then in, in Isaiah chapter 9, this quotation that's often used at Christmas time of unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, the government will sit upon his shoulders and his name will be mighty counselor and wonderful God. You're like, wait, this son is going to be called mighty God. Who is this guy and what will this look like? Now we get the fulfillment of what it looks like when Jesus fills that position and fills the throne of David from Jerusalem upon his second coming which happens in Revelation 19. So, Isaiah 11, verse 1. All right. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, 
and a branch shall go out from its roots. So right away in the first verse, you get this understanding of where the Messiah is coming from. So there's this idea, there's this rod from the stem of Jesse. So he's going to be a descendant of Jesse from the line of David. But it's not from the tree, it's from the stem. In other, uh, in other translations, it might be called the stump of Jesse, which makes a little bit more sense in our mind because you can picture the tree being cut down and there's just this stump left. But at some point in the future, a branch will grow out of it from the roots. Now, that makes sense to the picture of Israel we have today because when King Nebuchadnezzar came and kicked the people of Judah out of, Israel, out of Israel and out of Jerusalem, and they got absorbed into the Babylonian kingdom for 70 years. They returned under the kingdom of Persia, but they never set up the monarchy again. There has never been a king on the throne of Israel since 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar finished, finished his siege on Jerusalem and kicked the people out of the land. Even after the return, and even, you know, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple and began the, dia the second diaspora of the Jews out of Israel, um, and they returned in 1948, but yet still there has never been a king on the throne of Israel. The, the tree's been cut off. Out of the stump of Jesse, a branch will grow. Well, that's Jesus. And Jesus has shown up. We're waiting for his return to sit on that throne. So we get this picture right away. Now, the next verse gives us a little bit more about his identity. Right now, we know he's going to come from the line of Judah, from David. And now we know that he'll be from Jesse as well. So narrowing down what lineage the Messiah is coming from. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I know this guy's whoever he is, is going to be very spirit-filled. He's going to be the Lord. Now, in hindsight, we can look back on this and say, well, Jesus is the Lord. So this makes sense. But it also was fulfilled literally when John the Baptist baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and sat on him and the Father from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So, both, yes, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, descended on him at the baptism of John the Baptist, but he also is the Lord. The Spirit is within him. The Spirit testifies of him. So, yes, this is the fulfillment. This is Jesus, and the picture is very clear here in the first two verses. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Now, you get even more insight into the divine nature of him. Because now you know he's a man that comes from the line of David, from Jesse. Um, the spirit of the Lord rests on him. That was clearly fulfilled with John the Baptist, baptized him, and the Holy Spirit descended. But now you see that he, he doesn't judge with his eyes or his ears. He has this ability to divinely judge and have perfect judgment as he sits on the throne. He does so with righteousness in verse 4. 
So there's this perfection quality that seems to be this messianic character, which we now know on the other side of prophecy being fulfilled, that this is Jesus who will fulfill this prophecy when he returns in Revelation 19. And you actually get a picture of some of Revelation 19 right here where it says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Now, in Revelation 19, we see the return of Jesus. And in verses 11 through 16, this is what you read. Uh, this is Jesus returning to earth. It says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. We just saw that he would be judging in righteousness and perfection. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or royal crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe of dipped blood, and by the name which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So the church, the bride of Christ, is, be, is following him, coming to return to the earth with him, following him on white horses. And then it says in verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury uh, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, you see in that picture the return of Christ with his church. His name is the word of God. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. And here in Isaiah, it says that he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So the picture is clear. Jesus' own words is going to defeat the enemy because he is the word of God. Uh, and in Revelation 19, the picture, it gives us more clarity. When he does so, he will tread the wine press, which really means it'll be a bloodbath because wine is representative of blood. So when he returns and he goes to fight in the battle of Armageddon, it will be a bloodbath for the wicked who denied him. That's the picture here. It says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now that to me is reminiscent of Revelation chapter one, where John gets the vision of the glorified Christ and he's talking about some of the garments that he's wearing and the brightness and the beauty of, of Jesus. It kind of reminds me of that, but it's not a direct quotation. Uh, verse 6, now we move on from the messianic character from the Messiah himself to the actual conditions of his reign. So this is where we look at completely unfulfilled stuff that will happen when Jesus returns. This is what the world will look like during the millennial kingdom. It says the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion together, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the, Lord, of the knowledge of the Lord as the water 
covers, as the waters cover the sea. So you get this picture of complete peace, even in the animal kingdom. Even so much that snakes won't bite kids, uh, lions will eat straw instead of prey and animals. This is the millennial kingdom, a picture of complete peace as Jesus reigns and rules on earth. Verse 10, in that day, which anytime you see that, in a, particularly in, a, in one of the prophets, you get this sense that they're talking about the return of Jesus or the tribulation period. It's talking about end times when it says in that day. In that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. Get this, for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Now we've got this picture of the millennial kingdom, but remember that strange dichotomy where the prophets are looking off into the distant future and they don't recognize that they're looking at this far off future. To them just looks like one horizon, but it's actually multiple horizons out in the future. It's like looking at a mountain range from afar. As you get closer, you see how far apart the peaks are. But when you're looking at it from a distance, it just looks like one horizon line. Because Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, also points out that the Gentiles shall seek him. The Gentile bride of Christ, the church, the fact that the Israelites rejected their Messiah and the Gentiles accepted him and the church grew through the Gentile world is literally prophesied in the book of Isaiah right here. It's prophesied throughout the Old Testament, but it's stated pretty clearly right here. It shouldn't be a shock through reading their own scriptures that this was meant to happen to the Jews. So, uh, or for the Jews, they should recognize this, but the blindness that's been put on them. Now, I mentioned that because we've been going through Romans, and part of that is mentioned in Romans 9 through 11 this attitude or blindness that was put on them and the rejection that they have of the Messiah was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And Paul points that out in the book of Romans 9 through 11, um, as much as his heart is for the people to come to saving faith. And then, of course, Romans 11 is all about the eventual salvation of the, of the Jewish nation and the remnant of Israel that survives the tribulation period. God has a plan for Israel still. Um, and Paul seeks to see that, but the Gentiles coming to him first prophesied right here. Verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day, again, that phrase, in that day, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros to Cush, from Elam to Shinar, from Hamath to the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So whether this is talking about post-tribulation when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on earth and gathers the people who did not return to Israel from the Jewish nation, they will return at that point. But there also is sort of a parallel in Ezekiel 36 and 37, about the Jewish nation coming to being dispersed throughout the earth and the people starting to draw back to the land of Israel before the beginning of the end times. It's also a sign of the times when, when the Jewish people are coming back to the land, which is what we're witnessing literally before our eyes over the last few decades. 
Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So this is discussing about when the Messiah reigns and rules from Jerusalem, this old uh, conflict between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah that existed in the split between the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes, that's healed. It's gone. There's unity and peace. So it's just an extra uh, emphasis on the peace that the Messiah will bring is what's being stated there. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord, this is really interesting, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt with his mighty wind. He will shake the fist, his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. Now this is mentioned in Revelation 16, verse 12, talking about how God will, the, the river Euphrates will actually dry up in the tribulation period. Now, it's reminiscent of what God did for the Israelites leaving Egypt, drying up the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry ground. The same, a similar thing is going to happen so that in the tribulation period, his people can make it across the Euphrates River on dry ground during that time to make it home to safety, right? So this is the picture and it's mentioned in, in Revelation. So we know that the river he's talking about is the Euphrates. All right, now a short chapter uh, in chapter 12 and we'll finish up for the night. It says, in that day, this is a, a hymn, a, a praise that Isaiah is giving um, through what he's seen. So he's reacting to what he just envisioned, um, and the Spirit's guiding him to write this down as he's reacting to this vision that he's had. In that day, the day of the Lord, or the end, the return of Jesus, in that day, you will, see, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Now, I think this is alluding to Zechariah 12. Because what's important to remember is Isaiah's prophecy is meant for the nation of Israel. Right? This isn't a prophecy that was drummed up for the church to understand the return of, of Christ. Or This is about the Jewish people receiving their Messiah because Isaiah is a prophet to the Jews. Um, that's the audience that he's writing to. That's who this is for. doesn't mean that there's nothing for the church to glean from it. It's just not a message to us. There's stuff for us in it, but it's not a message to the church. It's a message to the nation of Israel. And in Zechariah 12, speaks of the return of the Messiah. And it says, 
When he does so, they will look on him whom they have pierced and mourn, and they will come to faith in him finally, right? So it's this picture of, in, in verse 1, it says, though you were angry with me, the remnant of Israel, those who survived the tribulation period, the Lord should be angry with them because they rejected him. And likely, at the beginning of the tribulation, they probably accepted the Antichrist. They were probably duped by this false messiah. And as the time frame goes on throughout the, the tribulation period, especially the abomination of desolation, when the Antichrist sets up some sort of idol in the temple and demands to be worshipped as God, they will come to understand they were wrong. He's not the Messiah, and they go running for their lives as he tries to kill as many of them as possible. Uh, but then they see the true Messiah returning, like in Zechariah, and they look on him and they say, they see the one whom they pierced. They see the crucified Jesus in all of his glory returning, and they come to finally have saving faith in him. So though the Lord was angry with him, your anger is turned away, and you comforted me. Behold, God is my salvation. So they go from a place of disbelief to belief upon seeing him, and they enter the millennial kingdom in faith, having been saved by seeing Jesus. Now, Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, that just reminds me of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, right? If you, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink because I offer living water. You know, those who come to me never thirst again, that type of thing. These, they have been searching and hoping and waiting for the Messiah, and they realize how much they've missed out on, and they finally get salvation and get to drink from that deep well and are fully satisfied, finally. That's what that picture reminds me of. In that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things, this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And so right there in that last verse, you get that full picture of this is a message to the nation of Israel. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Because the Messiah, the true descendant of David, rightfully sits on the throne, but is also divine in Jesus, is there in their midst. And the picture is, is beautiful because remember this is a hymn of praise in response to the vision of ultimate peace that was shared with us in Isaiah 11. This full peace of even in the animal kingdom because the conditions will be brought back to what they always should have been like the Garden of Eden because of the return of Jesus. So I can't think of a better place to stop for the night and uh, be pretty joyful about what we've learned. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for uh, the prophet Isaiah. Thank you for his words and understanding. Help us to uh, grapple with who this message is for uh, 
and what we can glean from it and how we can further better understand your plan, but also who you are, that your anger is turned to mercy and you offer salvation for those who come to faith in you. Well, the message is clear about a particular moment in time in this prophecy. It's also true today for those who come to faith in you. Your anger and wrath gets turned to mercy and grace for those who turn to the cross. So God, I pray that that message is not lost and that it's one that we continue to share. In Jesus' name, amen.